Hey everyone, I'm David Brussel. And I'm Marcus Terran. And this is The Thermal Review, a podcast about sensing, imaging, and automation advancements from the perspective of a couple technology geeks. In each episode, we discuss how the world is changing for cloud-based monitoring, quality assurance, and non-destructive testing. Package seal integrity is critical for today's manufacturers. For example, in the food and beverage space, faulty packaging limits the shelf life of a product. Reducing product shelf life increases waste, especially for perishable items, where package leaks can accelerate the decomposition process. For the pharma and health industries, package sterility ensures product efficacy and safeguards end users. Automated infrared inspection with thermal imaging cameras for package seal integrity testing is one application that continues to gain traction. Using infrared inspection as part of a quality control program allows for inspecting all package seals in the production line. Companies can ensure package seal integrity, promote product quality, and elevate customer satisfaction by implementing complete package line inspection. Good day, Marcus. Hey, Dave. <laughs> How are you doing today? Very good. It's awesome. Tuesday. <laughs> it is Tuesday. Yeah, it's a good day. Just finished up the uh, Thanksgiving holidays. You had a good holiday? Yeah. Yeah, too much food as usual. <laughs> as usual. <laughs> and uh, wrapping up the end of the year, which is kind of crazy around here at Movie Therm, isn't it? Oh, boy, yeah. I mean, I say this every year, how fast time is moving, but it is accelerating and at a pace that's uncomfortable sometimes, you know? <laughs> yeah, I do know all too well now. <laughs> and it's great to know, I have to say, but yeah, it's... Uh, it's a busy time. Um, yep. Thank you for joining us, everyone, uh, our listeners, and uh, and those who are uh, watching this podcast via YouTube, our watchers. This episode of the uh, the Thermal Review, where uh, today we're uh, we're we're talking about uh, package seal integrity, and not just talking about seal integrity, but how you can utilize thermal imaging technology to ensure. The integrity of uh, package sealing. It's kind of an interesting and fascinating uh, subject. And as 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 mentioned in the opening paragraph, it's it's gaining traction. It seems to be growing like crazy. Um, yeah. As as more and more companies become familiar with uh, the capabilities of thermal imaging, coupled with the importance of packaging. In fact, Marcus, I was hoping that we could kick off today's uh, podcast by by talking about heat sealed packaging. You've been doing this for a while. You know about this. I was wondering if you could explain to our listeners who aren't familiar what is heat sealed packaging. Yeah, I think everybody uh, gets in touch with packaging almost pretty much on a daily basis, right? Plastics yeah. are omnipresent. Um, paper, paper bags, those kind of things, and then you know most of the time nobody really actively thinks about it like these things have to be sealed somehow right because you don't want your flower to come out of the bag when you go shopping and you know mess up your car or or uh, liquids leaking out of uh, you, you know your, your energy drinks or whatever the case may be and um, so 
you know, packaging is really, um, you know, a big topic for manufacturers for, for uh, you know, any, any sort of um, food uh, items or, or pharmaceutical medical items, um, all the stuff that the product needs to be protected. And usually that's done by packaging, right? It needs to be transported and all those kind of things. So packaging is a big deal. And, and usually that happens, uh, obviously, at the end of the line. Mm. And uh, one big aspect of that is sealing. How do I seal this thing shut? And it's also happening at very high speeds. It's happening uh, at very high volume and throughput. So um, a lot of these plastic containers are being heat sealed. And there's different methodologies out there. Um, most commonly, there's a, some sort of a heat platen that pushes down by pressure onto the package. And it has a, a shape um, of the sealing area. It could be a single straight line. Um, or it could be a, a more complex shape if it's if it's more of a you know rounded sort of a thing, and it's pushing down on the package and it's providing a certain amount of heat to the foil that sits on top, or it may be a pouch that has foil on the back and on the front, and it presses down. So it's basically pressure and heat, and it's starting to kind of melt the plastic together, or there may be some pre-coated. Um, sort of an adhesive that's that's on the inside liner of the packaging that's just being heat activated and and then bonded together. It's really a welding process in a sense, a plastic welding process. Um, and then it goes off and typically then gets packaged. Um, but the, the biggest concern there is, well, did my welding process do its job, right? Um, yeah. And there's, there's a lot of things that can go wrong uh, in that. It could be that uh, the pressure wasn't, uh, applied properly, you, you have maybe a fluctuation in your in your pneumatic pressure or hydraulic pressure of your system. It could be that um, you know something didn't move properly and it it kind of uh, you know got stuck and, and and now it's coming down crooked on your package and therefore one side is kind of uh, sealed, the other side is not. Or what we commonly see is a, a gumming up because um, these these um, metal plates are being heated to a level where it's melting plastic, so some of the material uh, accumulates over time on these heat platens and gums up um, those heat platens, and then the the heat transfer is not there anymore. So even though the the machine tells you, oh yeah, I've reached my sealing temperature, it's not being transferred because there's some plastic layer that's preventing it from transferring into the package now because it's gummed up. So it needs to be cleaned. But how do you know if you don't check for it? So we often see, um, you know, end of line inspectors that are just like sometimes just a pouch, just squeezing the pouch to see, uh, you know, is air being released or is liquid coming out? Just doing <laughs> a test there. But you can imagine if you're doing hundreds of thousands of, of, of packages a, a week or something, it gets quite laborious and it's maybe not as precise as it should be. So that's kind of, you know, where thermal imaging can come in and come into the rescue and, and kind of automate that sort of inspection process there. It's been it, it it it's been eye opening to me, Marcus. Um, since uh, joining the Movitherm team, it's been about a year and a half now. But the the uh, the number of of packaging companies that are are so focused on this uh, package integrity. I'll just call it package integrity at this point. And, and I've, you know, I, I used to always think about it more so from the, well, you don't want to have leaks. You you want to make sure things are being sealed properly. So they stay sterile, sterile. I mean, there's all the, those are critical factors, but in talking with some of these companies, I guess oversealing is, is also, and I don't know how the proper term I'm calling it oversealing, but 
when you when you glue something so tightly together that it creates a bad customer experience in trying to open the package. And we've all been there, right? Where we've had those plastic enclosed products, whatever it may be, where uh, it's, uh, you know, you're busting out the scissors or a razor blade, exacto knife, whatever, to get the thing open so you can get to the product inside. But these companies are also uh, concerned about that side of it as well. Like, well, we don't want to create a seal that is so uh, strong that it creates a bad customer experience. So that, uh, a lot of engineering really goes into like the perfect seal, right? right. Yeah, there's two things, two negative things that can come from oversealing. One is that you just mentioned. And, uh, you know, I think that sentiment towards uh, impossible to open packages is going to increase once Christmas morning comes around. <laughs> yeah, it goes beyond see... childproof. It's almost yeah. adult proof. Yeah, right. You almost need a chainsaw to open them. Um, <laughs> And um, yeah, so that that's definitely those 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 blister packs that have these really plastic, mm. really stiff, clear plastics that are sealed so shut. I mean, it's literally sometimes it's impossible to even go in with a with scissors. You know, it's like yeah, literally you need like a box cutter to really cut this thing open. And then that's it, it, the danger of cutting yourself in the process. You know, I've I've done that. So yeah. so that's one thing. Um, and and. You know, some of the concern there is, is theft uh, in, you know, in, in the retail store that people don't just crack open a package and, and remove something from it. So I understand, you know, that sort of motiva uh, motivation there as well. But the, the other part that can also have a negative impact is if you're oversealing a somewhat more fragile package, a pouch, what you can do is you can overmelt the, the outer liner of the plastic and then um, the seal becomes now a weak spot because... Let's imagine you have a bunch of these pouches um, thrown into boxes, into you know a larger box for transport and shipping, um, and now they're experiencing uh, pressure because of, of additional weight put on top of them and, and being handled and those kind of things. Now these um, seals can actually break open, okay? And um, you know it's it's one thing to have a chips bag uh, break open and have some chips coming out, but if you have some you know soapy or sticky sort of uh, liquids in there. Um, you know, I've heard from customers if they're shipping to, you know, Amazon or, or, or uh, Walmart or, or the likes, if, if, if they if Walmart opens a truckload full of stuff and there's just one leaker and one one little pouch can ruin a complete box or even a complete pallet full of stuff, they just close the door and send the whole truckload back. And if you do this two or three times in a row, you may lose your contract. Hmm. You know, they they don't want to mess with it. They don't want to figure out which package has leaked and, and they just close the door and ship it back the whole, the whole thing. And it's up to you to fix all of that, you know? So it's a big deal, you know, also from, like I said, the, the perception, customer's perception of the product itself. I mean, who wants, I mean, it's upsetting, right? You open something or, 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 it, you know, you buy something and it's leaking. Well, imagine this in a, um, let's say you're buying a supplement over the counter, you know, or some, some pharmaceutical and, and, and the seal is open. Well, do you trust the product? Do you trust the brand? Like what's going on? Did, did somebody tamper with mm -hmm. it? Is it just, mm -hmm. you know, those things are huge concerns. And, and one thing you, you never want to do is, is lose the trust of your customer. Right. I mean, that's, that's just not a good position to be in. You can argue, okay, well, 
the cost of this product, uh, you know, is is just in 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 a couple of dollars range or a few cents, even whatever. But the damage that it might cause, people start talking on um, social media channels and say, "Hey, I bought this, and this is this is really not good, and I got a broken package." And what were they thinking? If that's happening, that damage can go into the millions, you know. Yeah. So, so it's really something that uh, you know companies take very very seriously. Yeah, and, and and while it's while packaging is at the at the end of the production process, as you as you mentioned, or the manufacturing process, it's the first part of the customer experience, right? And it can set the right. tone. It'll set right. the tone for how that customer uh, reacts and responds to that uh, product, how how satisfied they are with it. And the product itself could be intact; it could be just fine. But if the unpackaging experience is is a miserable one, it it's it's hard to separate the two. Right. Yeah. So you you mentioned a couple different types of packages. I I I heard blister packs, and and then you mentioned pouches. Um, can you? What are the different types of heat? Uh, heat sealed packages what what are they because apparently there's obviously more than just one right they come yeah they come in all kinds of shapes and forms um essentially anything anything plastic and even a lot of paper carton type things are are heat sealed and there's a there's a few other categories even cardboard boxes like if you pick up a six pack of beer um it's a cardboard box so there the heat sealing is really done using um hot glue most of the time mm. but even there the question is well has it been glued properly because if you pick up a six pack and the bottom falls out <laughs> that's upsetting as well right <laughs> and, and and again you're going to start blaming the brand you're not going to start blaming anything else you know who wants to have a bunch of bio cans exploding on the floor or bottles yeah so so those are things um then there's there's um paper bags let's say you pick up your, your favorite flower or something from the store or something like that so they typically, um, in you know, and it come also in different weights, right? All the way up to the, um, let's say you have a bakery and you're going up to the 25, 50 pound bags. But those those typically have um, a couple of layers uh, in the packaging. They have like the, the the very strong paper, almost cardboard like paper on the outside, and then on the inside they typically have a plastic liner because they want to make sure that you have a moisture barrier so that you you know your product doesn't clump up and, and get moist from the environment so you can store it at normal you know conditions yeah. um and so they have typically that moisture layer um so it's a plastic liner on the inside and that is being essentially melted together by by applying either like what they call a band sealer it's kind of a band that has you know a heater built in so that can actually that the bag can come down a conveyor belt and, and it's being sealed on top while it's moving um that's a typical thing uh, we've worked with companies that have used um, a uh, ultrasonic sealer. Um, so they have jaws that are clamping on top of the bag and they are all, uh, ultrasonically being vibrated and that's causing friction uh, mm. again on, on, on the inside and that's and creating heat and therefore it's sealing it. Um, so those, those are things we have in medical applications. We have seen uh, even RF welding where they have a, a softer material to a harder material being welded um, and they're using RF welding and RF energy that, that goes in and excites the material and, and creates heat in a, in a focus spot. Um, most of the sealing though is done with um, a heat platen of sorts or a band sealer. And then there's another 
uh, category, which are bottles that have these, you know, you, you open up a plastic cap from the bottle and then underneath you have this silver foil. And sometimes you have a little pull tab on it and sometimes you just have to peel off that, you know, let, let's say it's, it's your coffee creamer or something or whatever, and you're trying to peel off that silver seal. And again, that's also because the cap in and of itself does not seal the bottle properly. Say so they put the safety freshness seal or whatever they call it on top. And um, that's actually an interesting process because um, the majority of those bottles are being sealed by first the bottle comes down the conveyor, then the bottle is being filled with the product. And then they have a cap, a capper that, that screws on the cap on top of the bottle after the filling process. And the capper with the cap has actually a liner that, that, that silver foil is already inside the cap by the time the capper puts the cap on. So at this point, that silver foil is not sealed against the mouth of the bottle yet. It's just being capped on and screwed down. So the question now becomes, well, how are you going to seal this now? Now that the cap is on, we have to remove the cap again. I mean, that doesn't make hmm. sense, right? So they run this under um, um, an eddy current coil, an, an induction heater. And the listeners may may know this sort of concept from these uh, stovetops that are not getting warm um, by themselves, but you put a metal pot on top and it's it's basically warming up with magnetic currents. It's warming up the metal. And that's the same concept being used there. And because of the pressure of the cap that pushes down on that seal, that induction, induction heater is now heating up that foil to a point where, again, that adhesive that's on the underside that's facing the mouth of the bottle is now being heated up to a melting point. And because of the pressure of the cap, um, it's now sealing against... Um, against the bottle but now the question becomes okay great i didn't have to remove the cap how do i know the seal is on do i have to remove the cap and literally people are doing that and sometimes on spot checks sometimes on every single bottle and it's it's ridiculous from a process point so what we have is actually a, um, a bottle cap inspection system that can see that heat radiating from that um, sealed aluminum foil through the cap and we can actually tell based on the heat signature was that seal applied to the bottle properly right so that's our bottle cap sealing solution if you will so that's a very special um, package sealing application um, and then there's all kinds of challenges with that um, then we have blister packs where you have um, you know most folks know this from you know running to the store and getting let's say one of those cheap uh, uh, razors or something like this you, you, you see um, a plastic <laughs> clear plastic blister on top that is basically vacuum formed around the shape um, of um, what's in there. So it could be a, you know, a razor and then three razor blades with it next to it or something like this. So it's a nice display. You can see already what's in the package and the backing, maybe a piece of cardboard or something like this that has some pretty print on it and that it's just being sealed against it. So those kind of um, are things, then they have uh, pouches of any sort of uh, things for like, you know, vitamin powder in there or even liquids. There's um, satchels. Those are typically the tiny little uh, pouches, if you will. And all of those need to be sealed, right? And then regular containers too. When you pick up your, your grated cheese or something, you have a plastic uh, box, if you will, with, with a foil on top, you know, that sort of thing. And you peel away the foil and all of the stuff needs to be heat sealed somehow against it to form a proper bond, right? Yeah. The... Uh... So Marcus, you, 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 you started to talk a little bit about thermal imaging or infrared imaging uh, inspection a little bit in that bottle cap uh, 
induction bottle cap application, which is, is right. brilliant. I mean, you still have heat and pressure, but the heat, you're not applying heat to create that. So you're applying a current, right? That eddy current. Yep. And then even in that ultrasound or ultrasonic ceiling, that's, that's quite interesting. You're using friction, if you will, to create the heat, yeah. but, but you're still utilizing this heat sealed process. How, before, before I ask you to kind of talk a little more about infrared and, and kind of the physics and, how, and why does it even work for inspection, how do companies, I mean, you kind of mentioned this, that sometimes it's, it's quite literally someone physically looking at, how do they test these things currently? Is it all visual? I, I, it, That's a good question. Yeah. And it's, it's a huge challenge. So the biggest um, concern is always a leak, right? And a leak could be hmm. a gas leak, a very tiny little pore that's open on, on the ceiling area. And that can be caused, as I said, it can be caused by an imperfect seal to begin with. It could be a material imperfection. It could be a little fold over. It could be that your sealer wasn't set up right or, or didn't apply the right pressure or even pressure on the, on the packaging. Or what quite often happens is that you have what we call part and seal. So maybe a little bit of the powder spilled into the sealing area and now you're trying to seal it and it prevents it from melting together, right? Because mm -hmm. there's a little powder in there. It's like kind of having, you know, sand in there, if you will. Um, or, you know, it could be a piece of cheese stuck in there or something like something that's just preventing it from sealing. And, and then you can have the, the package content spoil uh, really detrimental for, for medical applications where you have, um, a sterile package you have a sterile barrier that that's a huge no-no you mean you cannot have that happen i mean worst case scenario you cause an infection or the patient dies i mean those are things we have worked with um has a bad rap nowadays in the news obviously for 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 correct reasons is a fentanyl which is a, a synthetic um a opioid it's it's a hundred times stronger than than morphine well we have worked on a packaging line that um, fills what they call transdermal pouches. So what it is, is they put a gel containing fentanyl inside the pouch. Um, and then you get this, um, you, you glue this, you know, you stick this onto your arm and it has a, what they call a transdermal membrane on it. So that membrane is, is very uh, specifically designed to only dispense a few micrograms of that gel into the skin per hour. Okay, so it's very important that that is all fully intact because if you have a leak, um, you may overdose and mm. you risk the patient, you know, so those yeah. kind of things. So there's some super mission critical applications there, you know, that go beyond, um, you know, just oh, I have a spoiled package and, and, and customer perception. I mean, that's really like, you know, human safety, patient safety sort of things, especially also with the medical sterile packaging and, and that sort of thing as well. So that's, there's a lot of sort of things that go on. Um, you know, in, in that direction that need to be considered, you know. So how, how, <laughs> I don't know if you can talk more about the, that, that patch um, before inspecting with thermal, but what did they do? Um, yeah. What... <laughs> so, so leak, leak detection, right? So uh, there's what they call uh, a leak decay detection, right? So they okay. put a package in there and they put it into a vacuum chamber. Okay. And the idea is that if there's a leak, it, it's going to, you know, something's going to leak out of the package, right? And then they can measure based on the, uh, on the pressure change in the chamber. They can, they can measure whether something is leaking. But 
The problem is for a very small leak and a high throughput line that doesn't work on 100% inspection. That's just yeah. occasionally you can look and, 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 and look at that sort of thing, right? So that's just a spot check at best. And then that doesn't really address anything other than telling you, oh, there's, there's a leak. So if you have a continuous problem where every part now comes out with a leaker, okay, then you have something to work with. But if it's the occasional package, you, you know, whether you do this or not, you may miss it anyways. Yeah. So that's not very effective with respect to, to doing 100% inspection. There's, there's also ultrasonic technology out there that measures, tries to measure the, the, the seal, um, you know, again, from a spatial resolution and everything else, those are all indirect measurements of what went wrong during the thermal bonding process, right? Those mm. are all indirect measurements. Whereas um, what we do with thermal imaging is, the, the thing is here, in terms of process control, when, when you, what are you concerned with with your sealer? You're concerned with that the process variables that you set up to do certain things that are being kept within certain uh, uh, variations right certain tolerances so one thing is is the the sealing temperature somebody based on the type of material and the melting point of the adhesive or or the plastics or something like this has determined okay we got to run this at 275 degrees let's say well so you have a thermocouple on your sealer and it says it reads 275 great and then you need a certain amount of pressure and you may have feedback on that right you, you know what your pneumatic pressure is or hydraulic pressure or something or, or even me mechanically with a servo drive or something. So now you're like, okay, I have those two parameters that I can measure as feedback, whether that has happened. That's the input to your process for the ceiling. What you do not have is the actual feedback from the actual package now that says, well, has it been properly applied? You assume that it has, but has it been, right? Yeah. So. So now we come in and we, we give that direct feedback from the material science and look at it and says, yes, the temperature has been reached. Therefore, now you have the confidence it has been, the, 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 the bond strength has been properly applied. And that's the wonderful thing about thermal imaging. Now we have the ability with technology to make the actual thermal weld process visible and not just visible, in a qualitative manner, you can also quantify it. So what we do really, we take um, a, a lot of statistical data and we call it the thermal fingerprint because every package and, and, and every ceiling line has the unique fingerprint, like a human fingerprint in a sense. And we analyze that um, and, and we recognize that that's a given, you know, based on the design of everything based on the packaging design, based on the materials, based on everything that's happening and, and, and the package that's being exposed to, you're creating a certain heat signature across that seal. Hmm. And there's a known good range, okay? And then there's a known bad range. And, and that's what our system then essentially determines and makes sure everything has been done properly. So what that allows you to do, as I said, what the thermocouple will, will absolutely miss is if, if you do have a gummed up ceiling jaw or something like this, it will not measure that because the metal has been heated to the right and proper temperature, but it was not able to apply that to, to, the, to the package. There's no feedback for you unless you measure after the fact of after you have sealed, right? So, so that's the sort of thing that we can solve with thermal imaging 
that is an absolute direct feedback and we can do this at the full speed of the packaging line you know so it's 100% every time brilliant yeah so we're you're i love that i love that description of the the thermal you know fingerprint that makes that i i can very much relate to that if you've ever seen the demo of putting a a hand on the wall and removing it, you know, just there for a moment and then looking at the wall with the thermal camera, you actually see the thermal handprint left behind yeah. uh, created by the, that conduction process of you touching the wall. So that's essentially what you're doing here, right? You're looking at the residual heat that's left behind from the sealing process to determine how effective that seal is. Is that Correct. right? Okay. Yeah. And we, as part of that, we actually do a cross-correlation study because we have to determine exactly that because we we are some time removed from the sealing process. Ideally, we want to be like within a second or two to make sure that we still get the most information out of the package. Hmm. And heat heat has the tendency, based on thermodynamic laws, to go from a high energy state to the low energy state. So wherever the heat was applied, it's now starting to, the, the moment the jaws open up and, and energy is not being put in anymore, now the higher energy state, in other words, the, the hottest portions of the seal are now bleeding into the colder portion. And that starts instantly, right? Yeah. And especially if you have, if you have a pouch material that has an aluminum foil inside, um, that even accelerates that because metal is a good heat conductor, right? So we, we want to be right there when that happens so we can assess what's happening on the seal. If we wait too long, it's all kind of gone and blurred out. And then, um, you know, this like diminishing returns in terms of determining is this good or is this bad, right? So you want to be right there. Um, yeah, and that's exactly what happens. So we, we can actually see where was the heat applied, was enough heat applied, and, mm. and it's basically an offset from the, from the sealing temperature to the point in time where we measure. But there's a direct correlation now that we can, we can discern there and say, that's still good or that's bad, you know? Yeah. Okay. So a very critical point, it sounds like then is the camera positioning to or relative position to the, the, the actual sealing process where that heat was applied. And sounds like being closer, as close as you can be to that is, is going to be, uh, produce the, the better results because of just things right. want to reach steady state. They want to go back to yep. equilibrium. And, and so that you're, that, that, that heat will, uh, like you said, go from the high or high temperature to low temperature locations or no heat right, locations. Yeah, it, yeah what, what, it's, cri it's critically important to the process for sure. What yeah. are some of the other um, other other critical considerations around utilizing uh, infrared uh, or thermal imaging technology for this heat seal inspection? What are some of the other things that you need to be aware of? Yeah, so we have determined that the, the, the inspection location, which translates into time from sealing, right? So the further mm -hmm. you away, the more time has passed, right? Now, uh, physical constraints on the machine. Uh, I've seen uh, folks that have uh, like a uh, like a, a, a polycarbonate sort of, uh, you know, sort of covers or something over things. The human eye can see through this, but the camera cannot. So, yeah. and it's not a big deal, but you have to either cut a hole in it if, if you have to look through it or something like this, or put an IR window in it or something like this. Other physical constraints, a lot of these packaging machines are, are very uh, physically constrained. There's a lot of stuff around it. So we have to make sure that we have a clear line of sight. What we want to make sure is that we can look straight onto the seal. We don't want to be at an angle. 
because then mm. again we lose information right so i mean plus minus five degrees is probably not a big deal but if you're going a lot further at an angle you know again you're reaching uh, diminishing returns there somewhere okay and that has to do with um you know people that are familiar with thermography is uh, emissivity um has a dependency on angle so the the, the steeper the angle becomes the 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 more the impact is there from the emissivity side of things. A lot of things are being reflected away from the camera rather than being captured by the camera. So those are things there. Um, we look also at the 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 way the the material behaves with respect to the camera. So there's a vast variety of different materials, different prints. Some material is very shiny to the thermal camera. It may not be shiny to the human eye. So that's a lot of folks get confused mm. by that. And it goes both ways. Sometimes you're like, oh, there's no way you can measure this. And then you look at it with a thermal camera and like, oh, that's no problem. Or you look at it and says, oh, that should be no problem. And you look with a the thermal camera and it's it's shiny and reflective all over the place. So that's why we always put some sort of a feasibility study up front to make sure that we have a solid and robust sort of an application um, because there's, there's no point in, in trying to solve something where you have to uh, battle physics. I mean, there's just, you know, sometimes... The answer is sorry. This is not going to work on this material. End of story. You know. Yeah. Um, and, you can't cheat the physics. Right, and, and and nobody gains anything from it. Whether you know, I I don't want to have a system out there that doesn't work. I don't want to have an upset yeah. customer, and the customer is not being helped because they can't automate what they don't automate there. So, so those those are critically important as well. Um, those, those are like the the key things to consider. Hmm. You know. You mentioned, uh, I mean, we talked. You talked briefly about bottle cap, and the thing that's well with bottle cap, you're you're literally putting the cap on top of the seal. Mm -hmm. So, I I know there's some special considerations for for that kind of inspection. Maybe you can explain that. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, the physics there are very interesting, and they're changing uh, quite a bit from a from a looking at a package seal specifically on as the first surface, so to speak, right? So, when we're looking at a bottle cap, we no longer look at the first surface of the sealing area, right? Where the heat actually, because of that inductive heating process, they they happen underneath the cap. So the yeah. the plastic is not being heated up at all. Uh, well, later on in time, indirectly by the heat of the seal but um, not directly because plastic obviously does not have any magnetic uh, sort of um, properties in it and therefore it's not being heated. So that creates an interesting dilemma for thermal imaging because um, all I can do if, if, if I use a camera typically is look at the surface of the plastic and all I see now is what's the surface temperature of that cap, okay? So depending on the cap design, if it's a simple cap, which is really just a, if you look at it from a, cross-sectional view it's just a you know kind of a inverse u-shape right and mm -hmm. it's very simple let's say there's no raised lettering or embossed lettering on it it's just a plain smooth plastic cap there's still a, a little bit of or there can be a little bit of a of an air gap underneath the cap to the foil that we're looking at so if that's the case um the heat needs to now transfer through the air into the bottom of the plastic cap and kind of propagate through the plastic thickness to the surface of the cap, right? So this works on simple cap designs because typically the simple cap kind of touches the seal. Okay. Okay. So the transfers rather quickly 
and then you can can look at this but it changes altogether if you have a more complex cap design and that's typically the case with they call them crc caps child resistant caps hmm. everybody knows them where you have to like kind of like push down on the cap squeeze it in a funky way and then kind of open it um because it has a little ratchet thing so when little kids trying to open something and it could be let's say there's there's rubbing alcohol in there or like a corrosive thing or whatever the case may be that that's dangerous or some cleaning liquids that's you know you don't want to have a little baby accidentally swallow or something um those caps actually come at least in two parts if not more um where there's an inner cap design and an outer cap design right that, that ratchets together and everything and now you have a, a a much larger air gap in between and you have another layer of plastic in between so you can imagine like um now heating up the seal the heat has to travel through two layers of plastics there may be also even dissimilar plastics and then all the way to to the top so if you look at this thing um you can actually not see anything until you like 10 15 20 seconds down the line by that time because of this heat transfer it's most of the information is gone so you have a very poor representation now of what actually has happened doing the sealing process because so much time has passed and all the energy has blurred and and gone away you know it's it's next to being useless if you if you use that approach yeah. but um you know so so you need to employ the big guns if you will you need to switch to a more sophisticated camera that can actually partially see through the plastic okay and that's um unfortunately gets a little bit more expensive or quite a bit more expensive and this may also drive certain customers outside of the affordability range right because it's like every problem in automation has a certain pain factor and it has a certain price point hmm. meaning what is the cost of not implementing a solution right that's what the customer needs to ask themselves like if i don't address this how much scrap let's say do i have you know how much upsetness do i have in my in my customers well, well however you want to quantify this there's a certain price point or how many people do i need to employ to manually check everything there's always a price point there's always a cost to to not implementing a solution and automating that that inspection process right so that's really what you have to now weigh against the cost of implementing the solution right and they need to be in alignment you know ideally the return on investment should be on the order of 12 to 18 months maybe two years uh, for the u.s market um and that's pretty much the the pain factor that that companies are willing to invest in if they get their money back within that time period then there's a business case if it takes longer a lot of times customers don't don't want to go there hmm. which is interesting because you know i'm coming from europe and and we have partner companies in europe the thinking there is more long term you can actually see the return on investment if it's three four five years even they still invest in technology like this because for the long run they're going to be better off so they have a longer term sort of vision uh for those kind of things that's kind of an interesting you know return on investment sort of a, a philosophy here in, in the yeah. us yeah that is and and What's, I mean, this has always fascinated me with infrared uh, technology compared to, you know, what we see visibly with our eye is there are materials that 
will appear opaque to our eyes, but mm-hmm. in other wave bands, they could be, you know, transparent, semi-transparent, or vice versa. Like you mentioned that, you know, shield that we could see through in the visible spectrum, but thermally we we can. It's opaque. It's right. absorbing all the infrared energy, so we can't see through it. And for this bottle cap application, um, utilizing uh, a camera that has a wave band that allows you to have some transmission through to see that seal underneath. It's fascinating. It's amazing. It's physics. It's science. We can't cheat it, but we can actually leverage it to our advantage in certain instances or cases like this uh, right. to, so that you can see that seal uh, underneath, if you will, the cap, uh, yep. which is pretty fascinating. Yeah. Um, it is. It is. Yeah. So, Marcus, um, other other considerations for this type of inspection. I, I'm ass- I'm assuming that in some instances, it can be an industrial environment. Um, how does that impact thermal in- inspection or infrared inspection? The the environment that the cameras are in. Yeah, good point. So, obviously, that is a is a strong consideration. Um, depending on what you're filling the environment may be impacted by that, right? So if you're having liquids, stuff can splash, right? So you want to make sure that the camera is protected against that, not that you're shorting out the camera because some liquid ingress or something like this. So um, if you have powders, Mm. um, it gets tricky because obviously, again, you don't want to have powder settling on the lens of the the camera, you know, and causing an annoying maintenance issue, although sometimes that's not avoidable. But... um, but then it goes sometimes further. If, if you're doing a flammable liquids, let's say um, filling of, of um, alcohols or something like this, now you're getting into the realm of, of um, explosive environments. And um, so now you got to protect your, your equipment and make it what we call X-proof um, in, in, you know, in our lingo, if you will, um, explosion-proof. So what that means is, um, and, and there's a whole industry around that sort of thing. So let's say we, we have been with a, with a food manufacturer that, that does flour. So flour can actually be an explosive at the right conditions. If you have the right density of flour particles floating in the air, and you may have a static discharge somewhere or a heated uh, element that's warm enough to ignite the particles of the flour, you can have a pretty nasty explosion happening there. That's okay? amazing. I'd, I'd never think that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or, or, you know, grain silos or something like this with all the dust coming. I mean, those things are, um, you know, classified as hazardous areas with respect to explosion possibilities. So there's there's really a couple of different things you need to do um, and, and, and kind of adhere to the regulations there as well. So what we do is we have the ability to uh, deliver the cameras in an X proof enclosure. And there's really two methods. Well, there's three methods for for explosion proofing. One is the explosion prevention. And that's typically what we utilize. Uh, We use a pressurized system. So we we, we pressurize. Actually, it's purge and pressurize. First, you purge. What that means is you're you're exchanging about five times the volume of the inside of of the enclosure that you're purging. This could be the the control cabinet that that houses... uh, you know, a flat panel PC, HMI, that sort of thing, and all the electronics. Mm-hmm. The other thing is the actual enclosure for the camera that houses the camera. So what you really want to make sure is that none of the flammables can come in contact 
with any electrical stuff that can spark or it's getting too warm, right? So because those are potential ignition sources. So you want to okay. separate the environments. The way you do this is you're doing a purge before you um, turn the electricity on that anything can happen. You purge five times, you exchange the volume of the enclosure. Once that's done, you're just making sure that there's nothing in there to begin with when you turn things on. Then you turn over to the pressurization mode and that just keeps a slightly above ambient pressure inside so that from now on forward, even if there's a slight leak on the enclosure, nothing can ingress into the enclosure. Um, and there's special um, explosion proof controllers that we equip our equipment with in those conditions, um, you know, that, that make sure that that happens, right? So, so that's the, the, the um, explosion prevention. There's also what we call an ex, uh, um, explosion containment. Those are the people may have heard about NEMA 12, NEMA 12X sort of enclosures. Those are the ones that are super, super heavy duty, thick walled and a bold every inch and all those kind of things. That's basically saying like if there is an explosion inside that enclosure, it is not going to break apart. It's going to stay put. Okay. The explosion happens inside and it's just going to go boom. And that's it. And okay. also another requirement of that is that no uh, uh, ignition or no spark can leave during that explosion. No flame, no spark can escape that enclosure during or after the explosion. So those that's that's the explosion containment, which we typically don't use because the, the gear's expensive and it's just um, monstrous. <laughs> you know, that's being used in oil and gas quite a bit. Um, it's very heavy and, and it's usually, you know, doing that in stainless steel and food environments, it would be outrageously expensive and all those kind of things. That's why we, you know, choose and opt for the explosion prevention. And then there's another third method, which is using intrinsically safe equipment. That is basically um, every electronic component, whether that's uh, in a relay or PLC or this and that, um, you can get them. Not everything, but some of them you can get intrinsically safe. That means these are electronics and, and power supplies that are encapsulated. They basically have poured in uh, an encapsulation material, um, like a resin or something like this, and that completely encapsulates all the electronic components and prevents that from happening. Again, those things are very expensive, and, and you don't typically get everything you need uh, in that form factor. So that's why... Our fallback position is typically the, the explosion prevention with perch and pressurization, if that makes sense. Okay, that does. No, thank you. Okay, so Marcus, we're we're getting close uh, to the to the end of our podcast uh, for today, but I was I, I was hoping you could discuss or maybe share with our listeners, um, you know, not only being able to identify rejects, if you will, and do you know, a hundred percent inspection, which sounds amazing, right? Versus that one-off sampling uh, process or approach that we talked about earlier. But are there are there advantages, or yeah, are there advantages beyond just being able to identify rejects where a an infrared or thermal imaging inspection system uh, could be? you know, useful to a, to a, to a manufacturer or producer. What are some of those Absolutely. other advantages? Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that point up because that's often, often overlooked when, when people are shopping around for solutions, they don't consider the upstream benefit of a mm. 
system like this, right? So especially going back to the RI calculations, they're looking at it from the, okay, how much does it cost so that I can reject the bad parts, end of story, right? But that's, that's a very, that's a very uh, limited view of, of what this technology really can do for you. Um, what you should consider in addition is what additional benefits can this technology bring, right? So we can do trending, like going back to the example of gumming up your, your heat planes, right? Well, since I'm using a thermal camera, I can now trend that. And it's not just like one day it's working, one day it's not. It's a gradual degradation of the heat. And while this is going on, this heat ceiling is still happening, but it's becoming weaker and weaker. So I have a way to predict when this is causing an issue. So now I can do a scheduled predictive maintenance session and say, hey, you know what? It's best um, that you clean this up during the next shutdown so you don't have an unexpected shutdown. Nobody wants an unexpected, unscheduled shutdown because that's very disruptive. You may miss your your delivery schedules and all those kind of things, right? Nobody wants that. That's not a good position to be in. It's a very reactive position to be in. You want to be proactive. So this technology Absolutely. allows you to be proactive by actually predicting if something goes wrong to a certain degree there. Um, another thing that is sometimes underappreciated, I think, is that we come in and the first time in its existence of, of the manufacturing line, typically we provide the customer with statistical data of their process capability with respect to sealing. What that means is like every process has a certain process capability. It's usually a, a Gaussian sort of distribution of its capability. And you, you wanna keep that in the mean and you wanna kind of have the distribution as tight together as possible. Well, uh, surprise, surprise, often when we measure things, um, <laughs> the sealing process is by far not as tight as the customer assumed it, it would be. And now we see temperature variations sometimes on seals like I have seen 12, 15, 20 degrees variation. And then they're looking at this and then they the first thing is like, oh, there's something wrong with, with your system. There's wrong, something wrong with your software. <laughs> it's, it's the first <laughs> assumption. And I'm like, no, that's really what's happening here. And so then the aha moment comes um, and like, wow, like we didn't know it was that bad. And you don't want to run something that has such a loose tendency of, of drifting to the left and to the right, being too cold, being too hot and being non-uniform because that's just asking for trouble, right? So now the question becomes, okay, what can I do with this data to now tighten up my sealing process? And we have done that with customers to say like, look, you know, your left corner is always a little colder than it should be. Like what's going on there? You know, and they found out that they had a misalignment on the ceiling. You know, and they're like, oh, and it was just, you know, if you take out your adjustable wrench and, and, and get it adjusted and now it's like way more uniform and, and voila, you have already improved your ceiling uh, capability and, 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 and uniformity and, and capabilities and everything else and your ceiling quality, right? So you're already preventing issues from happening by just feeding back what you're learning from the inspection process upstream and starting to improve your process. Yeah, and and that's what I'm saying. So this tool can be used not just to to kick out the bad parts. It can be used to actually help you improve and tighten up your process. You know, and how wonderful is that? And you know, that should be considered in the value proposition of these systems. It's like, you know, it's more than just telling you what 
what is bad. It's like, hey, you can actually improve what you're doing. Like who, yeah. who wouldn't want to improve? Uh, and, and often at, at very little cost, it doesn't have to be a redesign of the ceiling system. I mean, it could if it's really bad, but for the most part, those are little adjustments. And now you have that direct feedback of what the impact is on the ceiling. So that that's, I think, is a huge um, sort of a, of an adder there. And and then there's there's another wonderful addition here. You have statistical data of your process. Why not feeding that into either an existing system? A lot of folks have, um, um, you know, existing monitoring systems or historians or something where they feed information in, um, you know, and, and keep keep track of that, you know, doing your batches, doing your, your weekly, monthly meetings and just make sure, hey, yeah, you know what, we're, we're, we're running a tight ship here. Everything's working wonderfully. Or we have, um, you know, in, in the third shift, we always have these weird fluctuations. What's going on, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, that sort of thing. So there's so much information being delivered above and beyond just kicking out a bad seal, you know? Yeah. So I think that's where the, the additional value comes in for, you know, about implementing a solution like this. That's awesome, Marcus. And and the data's there. I mean, you are right. collecting it. It is there. Why not? Why not use it? Uh, to do those things, improve the process, improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your process, and then also eliminate surprises. That's 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 brilliant. Right. Uh, being able to leverage that. So I thank you for answering that. So it's it's more than just rejects yep. at, at this Definitely. point. There's there's greater impacts. Well, Marcus, thank you again. Uh, for your time today and and for answering these questions about this uh, th thermal uh, seal uh, inspection, uh, utilizing infrared technologies to ensure seal integrities. And uh, it's true. It's all around us as consumers, right? It, just about everything I put my hand on is packaged. Right. Uh, so uh, for those of uh, you listeners who want to learn more about uh, this thermal seal inspection utilizing infrared technology, Movitherm has an off-the-shelf solution that's called TSI, Movitherm TSI, which stands for thermal seal inspection. You can learn about it on the website. There's some knowledge-based articles around it. I think there's even a, a webinar, uh, Marcus, that uh, uh, is recorded that you hosted uh, a couple years ago that's available there. Uh, and uh, some some new video content as well. If you want to learn more, I, I I invite you to to go there, and uh, and if you can't find what you're looking for there, uh, give us a ring, give us a call, uh, reach out to us, and we'd be more than happy to to talk to you about your process. And Marcus mentioned earlier uh, feasibility uh, studies, which are uh, are critical to, to 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 learning whether or not an inspection solution is going to work for a particular application. It's great because it eliminates yep, the risks, great. if you will, you it mitigates time. the risks. And, right. um, and, and uh, we uh, were available to answer questions about that and even set up feasibility studies if that's a, a step that one of our listeners would like to take. But that, that wraps it up for, for today's episode of the Thermal Review. Thank you for our listeners. Uh, thank you for those who are watching via, via YouTube. Uh, again, we, uh, we, we invite you to, you can even go on our website and see some of our previous podcasts uh, and on our YouTube channel as well. 
Marcus, I'll, I'll hand it off to you. Any, any final remarks or comments for our audience? Yeah, I hope this, this brought some value to, to folks that want to learn about, you know, package seal inspection and, uh, yeah, second that, I, you know, please make sure that you subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and also subscribe on the on the YouTube channel. Um, you know, just type in Movitherm and you'll find it all. And uh, yeah, so that you get notified, you know, when, when the next post podcast is, is being released and, and any other videos that we're doing to, to help educate you out there. Thank you so much, everyone. And uh, happy holidays to everyone as we approach that season and a happy new year. Yep, same here. <laughs>